Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning, Three Creeks. My name is Joel, and I get to be the pastor here. And we are in uh, our second to last week of our series that we're calling There is Hope. We're making our way through First Peter. Uh, these are my favorite times of the year when we just kind of chop through a book of the Bible, a couple verses at a time. And I've thoroughly enjoyed First Peter. I'm almost sad that it's coming to an end. Uh, but Easter's coming, and so we're going to wrap up our series in First Peter next week. And then, like Amy mentioned earlier, Easter is April 17th. Good Friday, on the flip side, is on April 15th at 6 o'clock, and then Easter, two services. Like Amy mentioned, uh, we're having two services, and I know for Easter, and there's like, well, you know, why can't we just like lift the ropes and then, you know, if more people come, we can just sit back there. It's a little bit more complicated than that. And there's a couple reasons why we're doing a couple services. But the first and most important reason in my mind is because Three Creeks Kids back there, if anybody's been back there recently, uh, it's exploding. They've added classrooms. And we want our kids who are more important in some sense than us to have an amazing Easter experience. And so we're trying to make it, we're trying to spread the kids out, kids out and have a couple different options for them back there, give every kid an awesome experience. And so, and with that said too, is uh, Liz kind of threw out an email, I think, to some folks and just kind of said, we, we need a couple people to do, to be a super sub, like a one week wonder, where you're like, I can do it. I can endure suffering for one week in Three Creeks Kids. We need four more people. We're down to four slots that are open on Easter Sunday. Uh, so if you'd be willing to come and serve at one of the services and attend the other service, that would be awesome. Another thing is that, you know, if we only had one service, then the 15 or 16 people that were serving in Three Creeks Kids, they wouldn't get to experience Easter in here with us. They wouldn't necessarily, it's kind of awkward to invite your friend and say, like, you can come, but I'm going to be with the kids. And so we want to give them a chance to invite their friends. Uh, do you know that the number one reason why people don't go to church is by a landslide, that they were not invited. And we think it's a lot of other things because we wanted to think that it's kind of their fault that they're not interested or coming to church. And the reality is, is that it's the number one reason is that they were not invited. And we understand that there's, you know, dyna relational dynamics and, and how, much, how long do you have to know somebody before you can invite them and all that. And uh, we just made these cards. I hope that on your way out today, we're going to actually have coffee and hot chocolate on your way out and a stack of these. And I just would ask you, who in your life, who in your circle, in your family, where you work, where you work out, who, who do we want to give one of these to so that they can't say, well, I wasn't invited? I just would ask that you guys would consider who needs to know that Jesus Christ came back from the dead. I think there's a lot of hoopla around Easter about eggs and bunnies and throwing away peeps. But the reality is, is that this bad boy is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And somebody in your life needs to hear that. And I hope that you will not let them use the excuse, well, nobody invited me. I hope that you'll at least invite them. And maybe they'll say yes, and, and I'll, I'll be up here. I try to share the gospel of Jesus every week, but certainly on Easter, there's something special that happens on that Sunday. And I hope that you'll consider inviting somebody on Easter Sunday. All right, into First Peter. Thank you, Josiah, for reading that passage. Uh, we broke out this series months ago. 
And, you know, there's five chapters, about 10 weeks. So it's like first half, second half of each chapter kind of makes sense. And then I got to this one just the last couple weeks. And I'm like, geez, I looked at it and I'm like, this is like a side note written specifically to elders of a church. Peter's writing specifically to the elders of these churches that are all over the world at the time. And so I just was contemplating even earlier this week, how does this apply to those of us that are not currently in church leadership? It seems like Tyler, Cody, and I could have had a Bible study about this one, and then we could have moved on to the part that applies to all of us. And then the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed about it, I thought, oh, but this could be a really, really special Sunday in the life of our church. Because this is about more than just the job description, job description of an elder. This is about leadership. And this is about Jesus Christ modeling leadership. This is, this is about godly leadership in general, but specifically the kind of leadership that Jesus displayed. And so I hope that after this message today that you will come away with two things. One, a stronger desire to care for and pray for leaders in our church, but then also a renewed vision, a renewed idea of what Christ-like leadership looks like, whatever you lead, whether it's your family or at your job, or, or maybe you don't lead anything right now, but maybe you're going to grow into a, a position of leadership in some way, shape, or form. And this is an amazing passage where Jesus says, this is what godly leadership looks like, and it is so different than what every other book is going to tell you. It is so different. It is upside down compared to what you find out at Barnes & Noble. It is so different. And so that's why I'm excited to share this with you today. When I do say the word leader, what comes to mind? Maybe a better question, who comes to mind? At first, you probably thought about a good leader, some, some iconic leader in history, who's the best leader you know, Winston Churchill, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King. I don't know who comes to mind when you say great leader, perhaps somebody with a lot of power, perhaps somebody in a position of political uh, authority or leadership. And if I say the same thing, if I ask the question, if I go, who's a bad leader? Immediately somebody comes to mind. And, I, and, and we could name leaders in history that were that were evil and narcissistic and selfish and inflicted pain and suffering on millions of people. We could name people in both categories. Leadership is something that just happens. You throw 11 boys onto a soccer field and throw a ball out there and just watch. There's going to be a leader. There's going to be somebody who says, here are the boundaries, here are the rules, here are the teams, and go. There's going to be some, leadership is just kind of part of who we are. People rise up to positions of leadership. Okay, so how do we handle this? How do we, how do we appoint the right ones? And then when you become the one, when you become the leader, how do you handle that kind of authority, that kind of sway over the people that follow you? Well, Jesus talks about this. There's this story uh, in Matthew chapter 20 that is, I find it to be kind of funny but it sets up what Peter writes in 1 Peter pretty good. So Jesus is with his disciples, and there's 12 of them. There's 12 key men that followed him around for about three years. And James and John's mom comes into the picture, and she tries to kind of jockey for position for her sons, kind of like that soccer mom that wants her kids to have more playing time. Like, that's Jesus. That's James and John's mom. She comes in. She goes, hey, pulls Jesus aside. Hey, 
can my boys, can my sons sit at the right and your, at your right and your left in heaven? Can they, can they have these prominent positions in your kingdom? And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking. And she goes, no, 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 I do. I really want my boys to sit in those seats. And Jesus says, well, that's not mine to decide. That's for God the Father to decide, but I still don't think what you're, you know what you're asking. And it, it jogs Jesus's memory of like, oh, I, need, I need to make sure that my disciples are on the same page about leadership. And so after the mom comes and asks this question, he goes, I think I need to revisit this topic with, with the boys. And so he gets them all together and sits them all around. He goes, okay, we're going to talk about leadership here, guys. Let me, let me tell you what Matthew chapter 20, verse 24 said. The first verse says, uh, when the other 10 disciples heard what James and John and their mom had asked, they were indignant. And I had to look that up. It means mad. They were mad. They were, they were mad that they had tried to kind of ascend to this unjustly gained position. And so Jesus calls them together, verse 25, and says, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over people and officials flaunt their authority over them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for a ransom for many. Jesus is going, listen, the world does it this way, but among you it will be different. And the world says, get to the top. Get it so that you have some kind of position of authority so you can make your life a little easier. And Jesus says, but among you it will be different. With us, it is different. With followers of Jesus, it is different. The world says, climb higher. Get people to serve under you. I'm saying, among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be a servant. So who's sitting there? Guys, think about this. Who's sitting there in the group? Probably the one who was the most indignant was Peter because he was the outspoken, rash leader of the pack and his friends, James and John, just tried to usurp him and get to the top. So Peter's going, wait a minute, that seat's mine and he is indignant. And Jesus says, but among you it will be different. And apparently, Peter was taking notes. And Peter took it to heart because Peter's trajectory changes from wanting to be this leader of the pack to 34 years later, he writes this letter of 1 Peter and says essentially the same thing that Jesus said to him when he got the boys together. If you remember, We've been talking about this for most of this series, but Peter wrote this to the Christians that had been scattered all over the world. So here's a map. Here's a map. <laughs> they'll, they'll throw it up here in a second. The exiles in Asia and Cappadocia and Bithynia and Galatia, Christians that are all over the place going, hey, how do we do church? How do we have healthy church? How do we stand out? How do we make a difference? And then really the question does come up, how do we select leaders from among us. Who's supposed to be our leaders and what are they supposed to be like? So Peter writes, he echoes the words of Jesus 34 years earlier. He goes to the elders among you, 
I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now look at this job description. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. Among you it will be different but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. It just sounds a lot like what Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you, whoever wants to be a leader among you, must be a servant. So here's what I want to do for the next little bit. I just want to kind of walk through this a little bit. I want to, I want to talk about church leadership, specifically at Three Creeks Church. And uh, yeah, because and if you're new here, or maybe we haven't talked about this recently, but our church is led by a group of elders. It's a group of people that lead our church and make decisions about where we're going and who we're hiring and the budget and, and buildings. Like there's a group of people. It's not me that leads this church. It's a group. We call them elders. And we see this as the healthiest, most, most biblical way to lead a local church. There are two other passages, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And those list out the qualifications of those that could be appointed as leaders of a local church. But what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5 here is kind of like the job description. When our church started a couple years ago, we had, two we had two elders. Their names were Mark Artrip and Sean Spolstra, and they were the two pastors of the churches that helped start Three Creeks Church in 2018. And then about a year ago or so, Mark and Sean decided it was time to pass the baton. And so uh, myself and Tyler Gorham, who happens to be sitting right here, and Cody McManaway, who is who was singing right here, uh, Mark, or Mark and Sean decided it was time to pass the baton, and so they appointed us as elders last May. So now we are the elders of this local church. None of us have ever been an elder anywhere before. And none of us have a whole lot of church leadership experience. And if that makes you nervous, well, that makes us a lot more nervous. We are praying to God that he will help us. And it, it, this seems a little self-serving, but we need you to pray for us, obviously. And I would tell you to do that at any church that you ever go to. And I would ask the question, in all humility, have you been praying for us? And whether you go to Three Creeks Church or any other church for the rest of your life, I would, I would urge you to pray for the people that are leading your church. I want to lay a couple things out that Peter writes about eldership. All four of them, we will not be perfect at any of them, but I want you to know that we are pursuing this. These, this is the kind of leadership that we want to have, not just among our elders, but among our, our directors and our staff. Like These are the kind of leaders that we want to have in our church. So I see uh, the role, this role in our church being, uh, as being four things, and they are... Uh, pastoral, accountable, plural, and uh, humble. And I'm going to move through these swiftly because at the end of these four, 
I'm going to bring it all back, and the ending of this message is definitely the most important part, and in my opinion, the best part. So I'm going to move through these quickly. Number one, Peter writes that elders are pastoral. Look at verse two again. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. That word shepherd is the Greek word poimeino, and that, uh, that means to feed, to care for, to protect, to nourish, and to care for souls. And another word that comes from that same Greek word is the word pastor. So pastor and shepherd, and a lot of, a lot of times in the New Testament, are kind of these inter, uh, interchangeable words. And this is important. This is important that we understand this as a church family because... There's a lot of advice out there and there's a lot of books out there that would tell me as the pastor of this church when it was starting, you got to get the smartest people in the room. You got to get the business savvy people in the room. You've got to, is anybody a CEO in your church? Let's get them to be an elder. Is anybody rich? They probably got something figured out. We should get them to be in the room, and their donations will continue if they're an elder. Like, this is the advice that I have received. And I just want to say that that's not why anyone ought to be appointed as an elder. And that's not to say that Tyler isn't smart. And that's not to say that Cody isn't a good business leader. But that is not why they were appointed as elders. We appoint elders in our church because they are pastor shepherds and they they care, they care deeply for the souls of these people. And that might actually come to cost us in the area of strategy and growth, but it will be healthy for our church and healthy for our souls to have people, to appoint people as elders who are, are carers of people, that are pastors of people that are going to hold to the Bible, that are going to hold to good doctrine, and they're going to care for you on a very deep level. These are the kind of people that God's looking for. And, and Peter writes it. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. The writer of Hebrews says, watching over their souls. And so our elders' meetings are less about strategic business plans and more, how can we pray for the people in our church and let me just say this, we are not perfect at this. We're just not. And we never will be. And as we add more people into the mix, it's definitely not going to get more perfect. But this is what we're pursuing. We are not pursuing this grand strategy business plan. We, we see our role primarily as the cares of the souls of the people in our church who are supposed to feed and lead and watch and warn and protect this church from all of the evil that is trying to make its way into here. That's what we see as the first thing. So elders are pastoral. Number two, elders are accountable. Look at verse four again of what Josiah read. When the chief shepherd appears, he's talking to the elders, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And I read that, I'm like, woo-woo, crown coming my way, baby. The crown of glory that will never fade away. And then, <laughs> whoop, psych, Hebrews, the writer writes, obey your leaders and submit to them. He's talking to Christians in churches. For they, look at it again, they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
as those who will give an account. Elders are accountable. Those who keep watch over souls, they will have to give an account. So in other words, like God is watching me even when you are not watching me. And God is watching me and God is watching us even when you are not watching us. And when the chief shepherd appears, we will be held accountable. We will, everything. We will be called to account for every, every decision that we made, every word that we shared, every dollar that we spent. We're going to be held accountable. For every word that is preached from here, we will be held accountable to that. And there's, there's a certain amount of like... Um, there's a certain amount of accountability or transparency that happens among us. Like our budget, you can see the whole thing. Everything we've ever spent, you can see the whole thing. There's, there's, there's not much to hide, really, is what I'm trying to say. And there's a certain amount of uh, accountability that is among us. But, but the way in which we are held accountable to God is, a, is an entirely different level. And when Paul was writing about this, when he was writing about being a leader, this is what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 4. This is interesting. This is interesting. He says, this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. And now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful, not successful, not impressive, not important, not well-liked, faithful. And then Paul writes this, and I, I wish I could write this with the conviction that he does, but he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. So only God ultimately gets to judge us, all of us. Only God gets to judge us. And here's, this is why this is so important. Because I could probably figure out a way to get you to, to think that I was faithful, even if I wasn't. Isn't that true? I could figure it out. Or maybe you'd sniff me out and leave and somebody else would come in and I'd try to deceive them. I could, try to, I could probably figure out a way. People have done this. I could probably try to figure out a way to get you to trust me even if I wasn't trustworthy. I could get you to think that I'm a good leader or I'm living a holy life even if I wasn't doing either of those things. People have done that and you know their names. And on the flip side, I could be living a trustworthy life that is full of integrity and honest and holy and, and confessing sin and just like, living as, as godly as a life as a human can possibly live, I, I could be so trustworthy and you might not trust me. Based on another experience in your life or just the way that the world has gone, there's a chance that I could live a, a, such a holy life and you would accuse me of doing it for selfish gain, right? So it could go both ways. And so what I'm saying is this relationship here where like how I behave and what you think, that is unreliable, However, God sees me when you don't, and so I can't fool him. I can't pull the wool over his eyes. I might be able to pull the wool over yours, 
Because people have done that. And so maybe the best way to put it is that my aim and our aim as the leaders of this church is not to get you to trust us. It's to just be trustworthy. And it's not to, not to have you think that we live holy lives. It's just to live holy lives. It's not that you would think we're good leaders. Our goal is to be good leaders in the eyes of God, which means that we might have to handle your praise and temper it down a little bit. We're not that great. Or handle some of the criticism and go, man, we're just trying to do the best we can in God's eyes, and I don't think they're going to like it. So we got to handle some of that and just go, there's a certain level of accountability here, but ultimately elders are accountable to God. They're going to have to give an account when the chief shepherd appears. And that's pretty weighty. And we're not going to be perfect at that. And so we're going to need some grace for probably forever. Yeah, that's probably true, don't you think? But that's what we're going after. We're not trying to impress you. We're trying to be found faithful. And we won't be perfect, but that's what we're pursuing. I got to get going a little faster here. Number three, elders are plural. They're not alone. Look what Peter writes to the elders among you. He always writes to the elders among places. Paul, when he writes to the Christians in Jerusalem and in Crete and in Philippi and in like nine other places, it's always to the elders, to the elders, to the elders. And and the churches and the religions and the denominations have, have somehow strayed from this and have some ultimate one-person authority. I just don't know where they find that in the Bible. But we are always plural. We always have elders. At the moment, we have three. Our bylaws as a church family, just so you know this, we would love to have up to eight as our church might grow and as men prove themselves faithful over a period of time. That would be awesome. We would love to have a team of eight. It's always better when there's plural. And this is biblical and this is healthy. And I want to share three reasons why, just real briefly. Number one is that not any of us have all the spiritual gifts. You remember two weeks ago when we played the Encanto song, right? Not, so we need, to have, we need to have wisdom. We need to have discernment. We need to have mercy. We need to have leadership. We need to have teaching. We need to have all the gifts. And I don't have all of them. And neither does Tyler. Neither does Cody. And so we've got to get together. We've got to be plural so that we have all the spiritual gifts represented on our team. Number two, it's a really heavy load. It is a heavy load to hire people, to fire people, to, ha- to, to manage budgets, to confront sin, to do pre-marriage counseling. To, there's just so much to care for the people that are hurting. And there are a lot of people hurting in our church. To, to lead people through partnership and, and guide them on their spiritual journeys. Like, there's a lot to do. And so we share the load and we high five each other, saying, You got him and I got her. And we share the load, and that's good and it's healthy. And the third one is that we need one another to remind one another of 1 Peter 5. Because if, listen to me, I'm, I, this is, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. If I ever try to pull this thing off, without a group of elders leading our church, you need to run for the hills. You need to get out of here. And I honestly would urge you to never, if you move somewhere, go somewhere, decide that Three Creeks is a home anymore, whatever, whatever, find a church with a group of elders at the top. Don't find a church with one chief person. It's crazy. It's so dangerous. With our group of elders, we have this structure where we remind one another of 1 Peter 5, where it's like, we remind one another to clothe ourselves with humility. That does not come natural to me. Anybody? 
it does not come natural to position myself as I'm probably wrong. <laughs> In my mind, I'm always right. And so we need each other. And Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. And if you've ever been in one of these kind of relationships, you know that it doesn't feel good to get sharpened if you're iron. It hurts to be sharpened. There's a rub to it. And in a meeting that this week we had, there was a rub to it. And it was full of humility and grace at the end. But it's not like any of us are not full of strong opinions. We want to be strong opinions that have a, a real desire to lead our church, but it's just clothed in humility, and that does not come naturally to me. And so we, we hold one another accountable, and we hold each other to 1 Peter 5 as our job description. It's so important, you guys. I shudder to imagine leading this church on my own, and it's worth repeating. If I ever try to do it, you need to get out of here. And lastly, elders are, elders are humble. Speaking of things that I don't ace. Elders are humble. Look what he writes. He wrote, not because you must, but because you're willing. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. In other words, don't do it because you have to. Don't do it for yourself. And don't do it to be in a position where you can feel important. Do it because you're willing to do it. Do it because you're eager to serve and do it because you want to be an example to other people. And he says, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Here's a question. How far do, do we think we can get if we had no humility? If this was all about kind of boosting our own images or profiles or what feelings of important if, if it was just all about us and centered on us how far do we think we could get well people have gotten seemingly far with that kind of approach once again you could probably name them think about this i think without humility we might be able to appear successful and I think that we could probably work it so that it looks like we're making a real difference. But according to the Bible, that ain't going to last very long. And the impact that we think we're having isn't really going to be that real. It's not going to be real. Now, can God use those things and those people? You bet. But it's not going to last very long because God does not look at proud people and go, oh, man, that's a bummer. He doesn't look at proud people and go, I'm going to choose to overlook this. I'm not concerned. I'm not going to give them my blessing or favor, but I will just let it be. Peter writes it, and he's quoting other places in the Bible where he goes, God opposes the proud. He is against people who want to make it about themselves. That is a dangerous place to be. And on the flip side, if, if, we could be a church with leaders across the board. We're talking elders and staff and directors and team leaders and group leaders and group apprentices. Anybody with any kind of position of leadership, Three Creeks kids, people that are back there serving our kids. If we could get to the point where we are quick to say, I'm sorry, and quick to admit, I might not be right about that one. And quick to say, you go. And, and, and quick to 
just come and clothe ourselves with humility that everything that we're doing or thinking or saying doesn't come from a place of I'm right. It comes from a place of what do you think? You could be right. Let's talk about this. I don't want to make this about me. I want to make this about Jesus. And I want to serve you before myself. Like if we could actually have that culture, then not only, once again, not only does God look at that and go, oh, that's pretty fascinating. That's cool. It says that the favor of God and the grace of God is on people who are clothing themselves with humility, the humble. And so it might not look as flashy, and it might take a lot longer. But this is saying that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so as leaders of this church, I'm just saying we want to be humble servants. That's the game plan. That's what we're going for. And we're not going to be perfect at it, but that is what we are pursuing. Elders are pastoral, elders are accountable, elders are plural, and elders are humble. We probably won't ace any of them. That's what we're going for. Now, let me close with this. Uh, I'm really excited about this. I was thinking about this going, man, Jesus, Jesus Christ really was a remarkably strong leader. And he's, he might not even have been the first person you thought of earlier when I said, who comes to mind when you think of a good leader? I don't know, maybe you thought about Jesus, but I don't think you did. But he was an incredibly strong leader. One of the things that I respect so much about a leader is that they put their money where their mouth's at, right? They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. They do what they say that you ought to do. Think about this for a second. Remember that conversation that Jesus had with all those disciples when he wanted to talk about leadership? James and John's mom was trying to get first place or whatever. He said, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, come in here. He says, but among you it will be different. We're not trying to get to the top like everybody else is trying to get to the top. Whoever wants to be a leader among us will first be a servant. You will serve first. It's upside down leadership, but this is how we're going to do it. Among us, among us, it's going to be different fast forward a couple months. After that conversation, a couple months, two days before Jesus, I guess, no, the night before, Jesus was killed. So Jesus is killed on a good Friday. This is on Thursday night. It's the Last Supper. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, God in the flesh, has every right to walk into that Passover meal and say, wash my feet. And he has every right to have a big chair at the head of the table and have everybody else sitting on the floor around him. It would just make sense if he would do this because he's God. But Jesus doesn't do that. He walks the walk, man. He goes into this room and he, it says that he reclines at the table with his disciples He gets down with them on their level, and rather than telling the servants who are essentially there to wash their feet, that's like their role in culture, he says, hang on, hang on, I'm going to do it this time. And he stands up in John 13. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Imagine the scene of God getting down and wiping their dirty feet, man. They're in sandals, walking around in a dusty land. They're filthy. Hangnails. Jesus is down there just scrubbing them because Jesus says, whoever wants to be great, whoever wants to be a leader must first be a servant. Jesus was an incredible, incredible leader in this way. And a couple minutes after this, he breaks the bread, which is kind of gross because he just washed their feet, but I'm assuming maybe there was another basin. But he breaks the bread and he says, hey, this is my body given for you. Take it, do this in remembrance of me. And he takes the cup and he takes a sip and he passes it around and they all sip it. And he says, this is the cup. This is my blood of the new covenant. Take this, do this in remembrance of me. Just right after he washed their feet, and he, he replaces, so the Passover meal, this dinner that they're having is this, it's the holiday of the year. There's a certain way to prepare it. There's a certain way to, excuse me, do it. And he says, okay, we're going to kind of, we're going to add to this. We're going to kind of replace this. And from, from, from here on out, here's what I want you to do in remembrance of God. I want you to take communion. I want you to take the bread in the cup and take communion. And when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, that he was betrayed by one of those 12. And he went to the cross and died for the people that nailed him to the cross. But if he rose again for us and every person in our circle of influence that hasn't been invited to Easter yet, he died for every single one of them. Before we said we were sorry, before we asked for forgiveness, Jesus went to the cross. And so we do, we take communion in remembrance of that incredible selfless leadership of Jesus Christ. So here's what I'd love to do. I don't know how long I went, but that's all right. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. If you can't give 10 minutes, we've got other issues. 10 minutes. Austin's in a play. Here's what I'd love to do. We're going to take communion as a church family. There's one there, one there, there. Is there one more? I don't know. You can spot it if you find it. If you want the gluten-free option or the single serve, it's back there. Some of the other instructions will be on the screen behind me. But over the course of these 10 minutes, I would love if you are a Christian, if you are a Christ follower, to get a chance to take communion. And when you do it, don't do it in remembrance of you. Do it in remembrance of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for you. Just sit in the grace. Don't wallow in your sin. Sit in the grace. Let the grace of God wash all the way over you. He is the forgiver. And then, when you're done with that, maybe there's four or five minutes left, here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to just spend a couple minutes in prayer. You could do it by yourself. You could do it with the neighbor. You could go back to the back. There'll be some people that can pray there with you too. 
but I just want to give you five minutes to pray. And if that's kind of new to you and you're like, what is prayer? You can just sit quiet and just think about some of the stuff that I said. That would be a great way to spend five minutes. But pray for these three things. The one would be that God will help those who lead our church. For myself, for Tyler, for Cody, for our staff, for our directors, for our group leaders, that you would just pray for the people who lead our church. Number two, that God will raise up new leaders in our church. You realize that this conversation that we're happening today is so important. We are not playing a game. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And my kids are back there. And I hope one day that they have kids. And I hope one day that those kids have kids. And so we're talking about maybe a hundred years of the gospel going forward. And so we need God to raise up other leaders. And so let's pray for that. And then last, that God will spare us from the disaster of pride. That God would just, by his grace alone, spare us from thinking we're awesome. That he would remind us of who he is, that he did all the work, and that we get to be under shepherds, and he is the chief shepherd. Would you guys just pray for that? It does feel really self-serving, but will you pray for me? And will you pray for our leaders? Because we need it, man. We need it. So 10 minutes starting now. Communion's there and pray, and then Amy will come up and send us out. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.